StatsCan reporting today that inflation has climbed to 4.8% in December. That is a pace we have not seen since all the way back in September of 1991. Here's our finance expert, Rubina Amin-Hawk, who joins us now for more on this. Rubina, good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right. Considering the recent trend, I mean, this has been happening for some months now, as you and I have discussed. Uh, How much of a surprise is this December number? Well, it's not a surprise uh, considering last week we heard from the U.S. and their uh, inflation is up 7% year over year. So I'm not sure whether this is something we should be thankful for, but things are not getting as expensive or as quickly as getting more expensive as they are in the U.S. And some of these things are hitting uh, Canadians right in the pocketbook on a daily basis, like grocery prices, for example, up 5.7%, and that's the biggest annual gain since 2011. So that's something that we cannot avoid. We have to go to the grocery store. We have to feed our families. You know, just if you pick some things out of there, apples are up 6.7% year over year. uh, And oranges, the cost of your orange juice is getting more expensive by 6.6%. So these are things that Canadians, if you were to ask them yesterday, would have told you without having these inflation numbers in front of them that, yes, they know that the cost of living is going up, especially when it comes to day-to-day items. And it's so hard to avoid, isn't it? Because when you look at this kind of basket of goods that makes up the inflation rate, you're right. I mean, we've got to eat. We've got to go to the grocery store. I guess we can try to drive a little less, but uh, for the most part, people need gas for their uh, cars. It really is really hard to avoid these inflationary hikes. Yeah, I mean, outside of grocery costs, I mean, some some of the big ones, I mean, you can eat more vegetarian, for example. The price of frozen beef has gone up. The price of ham and bacon has gone up. So you can make some some dietary choices, but mostly, you know, those are things you cannot avoid. You have to buy them. I mean, some big items, like you could hold off on buying that new washing machine or that household appliance, those are also up more than inflation, 5.7%. But if your machine breaks down tomorrow... You really don't have a choice. I mean, you might have you might have been thinking about getting a new machine for a while, but as soon as it breaks down, whatever the market price is, you've got to go out and pay for it, and that hurts when you know that last year at this time uh, you could have paid almost six percent less for that same item, um, which is you know in the thousands of dollars. Often these big ticket items like appliances, if when they break down last minute, it's always an expensive fix to get a new one. Yeah, and I'm wondering what this has done, this inflationary cycle that we're in for months on end now, to the consumer psyche. Is it exactly that? Are people thinking twice before making a purchase, particularly a big one? And what is that doing to the economy as a whole? So people are definitely being more mindful when it comes to their grocery shopping, when it comes to their travel, when it comes to purchasing big ticket items, like I mentioned, like appliances, even cars. Anecdotally speaking, you know, I know many people who are in the market for a new car, but they're waiting because they know the price of cars, especially brand new cars and used cars actually has gone up year over year. In in this case, almost uh, seven. Well, it is 7.2%. And so what that does is that, you know, it stops Canadians for fe- from feeling comfortable on spending. And so that's not good for the economy. We want, uh, when restrictions lift, especially here in Ontario, that we feel comfortable going into a restaurant and eating and spending our money. But if you go into that restaurant that you haven't been in for six months, and all of a sudden you notice that the cost of that same plate of chicken is now 20% more, you may wait a little bit longer till the next time you get back 
But it's not the restaurant's fault. It's not anybody's fault. It's the fa- fact that it's costing more to transport the items because gas prices are up 33% year over year. It's, there's a labor shortage, so there's fewer people working. And so that's taking things longer, which is making things more expensive. And then the pandemic in general is slowing everything down because there's so many more checks and balances that have to be done before that item gets to your store shelf, your restaurant uh, kitchen, you know, on that service becomes available. You know, even if you go get a, a, a massage at an RMT, they require equipment in order to make all that happen. If they're, if things are delayed for them, they may increase their costs because it's, co- you know, it's taking them a longer time to get things ready for you. So it's just across the board, a bad news story because people then don't feel comfortable spending. Okay, so having said all of that, is pressure really now mounting for the Bank of Canada, for the federal government to do something, anything when it comes to these high prices and inflation? So now investors are baking in. 75% of investors um, who were were polled are saying that they believe the bank is, Bank of Canada is going to raise interest rates um, as soon as next week. Now, I don't believe that that's going to happen. Uh, you know, we still have a, a, a few days to go before that happens. We do know that a rate hike is coming in 2022. So this is something we have been preparing for. Uh, but what that is going to effectively do is that it will cool inflation, but it will also make it more expensive for Canadians who have taken on record amounts of mortgage debt to pay that debt. So if you have a variable rate mortgage, if you have a line of credit, that has a floating rate. If you have anything that is affected by the Bank of Canada raising interest rates, which means the bank of the, the commercial banks raise their prime rate, um, you should be prepared, if not by next week, very soon to start paying more for that debt or at least putting more interest money on that debt uh, and not having as much principal paid down. And speaking of mortgages, one of the big drivers, of course, when it comes to inflation is housing prices, those rising housing prices. And we've got a word that they are up some 26% year to year, Rabina. Yeah. So housing prices in 2021 rose on average 26%. Now, that wasn't everywhere. In some places, it was even higher because this is the average, of course. And so this is really, you know, really make creating a lot of fear and anxiety, especially amongst young buyers or first time home buyers who have been literally standing on the sidelines, watching that price of that home that they wanted to buy a few years ago, just go up and up and up and continue to have to change their expectations of the kind of house that they're going to be able to afford, manage their own ideas of what they think their first home should look like. And, you know, they're saying that this year we could see gains, maybe not as hot, maybe not 26%, but we could again see pretty high, if not double digit gains uh, this year again. So uh, housing is a major, major cause of inflation. I mean, it's costing more and more to buy a home, run a home, put, get, you know, the utilities are more. And then once you get in that house to furnish it, to eat in that home, everything becomes more expensive and harder to manage for, for, for those who are on a, on a, on a strict budget. Okay, so similar to inflation, what, if anything, can we do when it comes to these rising housing prices? Uh, Funny enough, I just got my inbox an hour or two ago, something from the Ontario Liberal government and Stephen Del Duca, and they are encouraging an increase in supply of homes. Obviously, if there's overwhelming demand, you want to increase supply, and that should theoretically bring prices down. But, I mean, obviously, to get that supply of homes, it's going to take some time. Homes just don't appear uh, overnight. And even if you do increase that supply, does it necessarily guarantee that the price of those homes are going to come down? 
Yeah. So the, both things are correct. It's going to take at least a couple of years to build new homes. You can't build a new house in three months, right? And if you did, I don't know how many people would want to buy that home, um, how, you know, what corners were cut to get that home off the ground. Then you also have to think about community. I mean, you can't just plonk homes in the middle of anywhere. Uh, you know, urban planners will tell you, you have to have proper public transit. You have to have schools. You have to have, you know, places where people can worship. You have to have roads and sewer systems. So it's not just a question of building. It's a question of planning it so that you have communities that are going to serve the future. And this is sometimes the problem with politicians is that, you know, we have a problem and they think of a, a solution that they want done immediately, but that required 10 years ago. Like in 2010, they should have been looking at the population growth saying in 2022, we're going to need X, with or without the pandemic, X amount of more homes uh, for people to live in because this is where the population is going. This is how many people are immigrating into our country and living in big cities like Toronto. So, you know, all of that aside, if you're a first-time home buyer, I really want, and I've said it before, to manage expectations. The home that your parents bought in the 1980s in, you know, mid-Toronto, it just that's just not the starter home anymore. So we just have to come to conclusion or come to the, the, the realization that that's just not reality anymore. Your first-time home could be a small condo. It could be something outside of the city that is much more affordable. That may be what first-time home ownership looks like. Also look at creative solutions like co-ownership. So maybe buying with your siblings. So you buy a duplex and one lives in one part, the other lives in the other part, or even buying the duplex and renting out the bottom if you can afford to do that. Um, so seeing it's more of as an investment so rather than just your own single family home. And keeping things really hyper-local. I mean, if you are going to be purchasing real estate, try to bring your other costs down. So don't but move to a home where you need two cars. Don't move to a home where, you know, it, it takes extra long to go get groceries. Try to do things where you can go without a vehicle, which is also a big uh, expense in a lot of people's lives. All right. Some uh, good advice. Great stuff as always. Rabina, thanks so much for this. And I know you'll be with us uh, tomorrow morning over on the TV side. We'll see you on the morning show tomorrow. Thanks so much for having me, Jeff. You bet. Good to talk as always. There's personal finance expert Rabina Ahmed-Hawk. And we're back after this on The Jeff MacArthur Show. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.